Well, good morning. Obviously, today is different, and um, if not, a disruption. But I believe that if I've learned anything in coming to uh, follow Jesus as a disciple is that when I give him license, he is okay with disrupting my life. And he's okay with speaking things into my life like I, desire, I believe he desires to speak today. I think that Jesus comes as we look at his final week on the planet. He came into Jerusalem that day faithfully with an agenda. While he was greeted with the praise of the people and palm fronds laid at his feet, as he made it into the city, Mark 11 says that he got there that night and surveyed the area, having something he wanted to say. But because it was late, he decided to save it for the next day, and he left the city and went back that night to stay in Bethany. As he came the next morning, and Mark 11 verse 12 records, it says, The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? In Isaiah 56, 7. But you have made it a den of robbers, as, prof- of robbers, as prophesied in Jeremiah 7, 11. Chief priests and teachers of the law heard what he had said and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When the evening came, Jesus' disciples went out of the city, and in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered what Jesus had said and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. He said, Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he said will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you. This entire section is a a wake-up call, if you will, a a further wake-up call to His church. We began a series called A People Becoming, and I believe it's important that we stay in said series because if Jesus teaches us anything through His Gospels, that in everything He says, He is teaching. And so the first point I want to make is that He curses this fig tree He curses it for being fruitless. Jesus curses the fruitless. The fig tree represents a a couple of things. Number one, it represents fruitless uh, Judaism. The next day as he comes, it says he went there looking for fruit. This is because Jesus is physical and he has physical needs. He's looking for breakfast. But there is a picture here of this, this fig tree that has leaf but no fruit on it. He surveys the plant looking for fruit. Much like in Matthew 13, as he said, that there will be a, a wheat among the weeds. There will be tares among the weeds. Sow them in. Weeds can have a tendency to look big and impressive and even grow taller than wheat. But they're hollow, empty, and have no root in this. Thus, they bear no fruit. And so that is the distinction. He's talking about how Israel was intended to evangelize the world and turn the world through its law system and its temple, which was the epicenter to the entire system, to 
uh, reveal the one true God to a people that otherwise didn't know Him. But instead of evangelizing the world to, to the one true God, they took the opportunity to be called the people of God and treated it with arrogance and in self-seeking and in focusing their, their practices around their own interpretation rather than an opportunity to recognize and relate to a God that loved them. They became self-reliant. And so Jesus comes to this fig tree and in front of his disciples, he says, may no one bear fruit of you ever again. May the things that you bear fruit die away. Now, this is the only destructive miracle ever recorded in the Gospels, and it's two-parted because it says in verse 20, he came back the next morning and Peter notices that this thing has withered. This is an important picture because it's prophecy of what is to come. Jesus said in John 2 that he would be the temple and that temple would be destroyed and he'd rebuild it three days later. You need to understand the epicenter to all of Judaic worship was the temple. Jesus is saying, I seek to replace that. I seek to become the epicenter of all worship, and that's what I was always intended to be. I intend to be the fulfillment of both the law and prophets and the fulfillment, the Messiah, to the people of Israel. But for his church today, I desire to be that as well. And I desire a church that bears fruit. The reality is the temple... When it is destroyed in 70 AD after the resurrection of Jesus, what's going to happen is this. Upon the destruction of the temple at 70 AD, when it's torn down, never to be re rebuilt again, just like this withered plant that can never bear fruit, it is incredibly difficult to be a biblical Jew today. Here's why. Because that temple was the epicenter of all worship in a Jewish system, meaning therein was the Holy of Holies which contained the Ark of the Covenant, and that was the place where the high priest was required to go in annually to, at Yom Kippur to offer sacrifice for an annual acquittal of sin for the people. But upon destruction and the temple being laid in ruins, there was no longer a Holy of Holies. There was no longer a place for the Ark of the Covenant or the presence of God. There was no longer a high priest. There was no longer a need for a high priest to intercede for the people. And I genuinely believe the reason this removal exists is because Jesus is not done with His people Israel. I believe Jesus is trying to reveal Himself to His people that He is beloved and He desires for them to finally stop being arrogant and accept Him as their Messiah, the one they had praised as He came into Jerusalem, the one that they wanted, the promised King. Because I believe that just like His church... They've been, we were grafted into something that he intended. Just like his church, he desires for Israel and Gentile alike to, be, to reflect his church and to evangelize a lost world that right now, just like us, is wondering circumstantially what is happening. And he wants his church to not only rest in him, but offer a message of hope. He wants to be able to look at his church and find fruit when he comes surveying it. And here's the thing. Just like this disruption right now that has led us to worship the way that we have today, a church that is biblical, not just gathered as we've grown accustomed, but a church scattered as the Great Commission requires. When Jesus comes looking for fruit, I want to know, will he find it? Because the reality is, in Galatians 5, he said, if we're to bear fruit, it is only going to be by our own submission to His Spirit. And so, as much as the, the world may turn to a church corporately today, it's only as strong as the individuals in it submitted sol solely to Jesus and wholeheartedly seeking to please Him. So, the, Jesus comes disrupting. 
he walks in, and we just looked at the fig tree, and that entire experience, both before and the next morning after, and his second coming to that fig tree, is a warning to his church that he comes looking for fruit. And he's telling us, can I find fruit in you? Because I am coming again. Your entire faith system is based on the fact that I will return. I'm coming back, and I don't want to find a dead, withered plant. I want to find something bearing fruit of my spirit, fruit of who I am. And he does so by wrapping this entire illustration around his cleansing of the temple. He goes into the temple like he wanted to that very first day, but he gave them the night off. He goes in with a vengeance. He goes in with a righteous fury. He's trying to reveal to the people what he desired and how they had missed it based on their interpretation. This entire setting happens in the Gentile courts. When he walks in to the court of the Gentiles, because Annas the high priest would never allow this kind of desecration of the temple to go any further into Jewish practices, any further into the temple where Jews actually worship. He would let it happen where the Gentiles do. This is why Jesus specifically challenges. Did I not say, Isaiah 56, 7, that my house would be called a house of prayer for all nations? You were intended to reveal to the Gentiles and everyone after that I am the one true God, but yet you have turned the place where they can worship and turn to me as a marketplace where you solely benefit but, and you profit for yourself. Charging three to ten times what is offered in offering and sacrifice for people who just want to know me. You're robbing the people. He literally says, I don't want people carrying merchandise through my temple courts. This is, this is what was actually happening. Not only were they turning profit at the sacrificial tables, there were people that were treating the, the court of the Gentiles like a shortcut from the actual marketplace of Israel to their own homes. They would literally just cut through the temple. That's how, that's how much this place of worship, this epicenter to Judaism, had become empty and hollow. It was solely a place for the Jews and the religious leadership to turn a prophet. Kevin DeYoung said it like this in a quote recently. He said, the, most, the trouble most facing the church in America today is not the potential of persecution. It's the potential of becoming so comfortable that we become apostates. As we witness the great falling away. I believe that Jesus has allowed some disruption in our life. And he's trying to cleanse us a little bit to get our attention. So that we would not become a people so comfortable that we not bear fruit. Not the fruit that he actually intends. So he comes cleansing the sinful, the temple, and removing the selfish so that the selfless can bear fruit. He desires for his fruit. The new life to be shown, not our old life, one that was self-seeking, one that was based on our own interpretation, one that held to our own opinions, one that just bought in to our own hype. He was offering freedom and connection, relationship to God forever, and that's why the people are astonished by his teaching as he cleansed the temple. They were so fascinated by who he was, and this, this scared the religious leaders because they were losing control, but Jesus would offer himself up so that freedom could be found. He would become that temple, that epicenter, so that we, his church, could find relationship, both for the Jew and the Gentile alike, to find relationship to a God who created us in his image and loved us so much that he'd give himself. The last thing that Jesus does in this passage, which is pretty important, but it seems weird, is he gives this lesson on prayer. And I like it because I believe he's calling his church to be victorious. In this prayer, he says a couple things. 
He says, have faith in God. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it'll be done for them. Now, this is solely hyperbole. It's allegory. It's not that God expects us to go find the Rocky Mountains and ask them to be thrown into Lake Tahoe. That's not what he's asking. He's not asking that we displace the continental shelf with our prayers. But what he is asking is for us to recognize that extra-biblical Jewish literature said that rabbis who had this ability to stay composed, and they had this ability to sovereignly and incredibly figure out answers to difficult problems, were known as uprooters of mountains. So even when he said it, the people directly listening, the disciples, would have understood what he was talking about. He was talking about mountains being so big, circumstances being so uncertain and so difficult that those who were the most composed and those who were most steady could bring answers to said circumstances, and that would offer people around us hope, casting the mountain into the sea. The mountain in our way that he speaks of refers to the certain opposition of those who walk in light or children of God in the face of a world that is bound in spiritual darkness. But the doubt that he speaks of isn't speaking of a doubt in our own faith. He says, those who pray, pray without doubt. It's not doubting the very character and person of God. It's when we pray and we see these circumstances, this mountain in our way, we pray because we trust the very character of God and the fact that He is in control and we trust who He is and He's never changed. He was, is, and will be, and we can always turn to Him in prayer. Not that we, our, our faith is in doubt or our faith is on display. It's that we trust Him implicitly. And no matter how uncertain the circumstances are, that He is in control. And His church can be composed and be those like the rabbinic of that day. Can be the people who in certainty turn to a world without certainty and offer hope. This is the fruit he looks for his church to bear. So the question this morning is this. Will you today allow Jesus to reveal the places of fruitlessness within you and chasten you those he loves? Will you today be teachable, repent of anything that he reveals, letting go of that which is stunting your growth or your fruit bearing that you might bear more fruit no matter which season he comes searching for it. Because remember, Paul wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he said this, you must be prepared both in season and out of season. So today, as Jesus comes looking for fruit, will he find a fruitful church? Will we allow him to cleanse that which is sinful within and remove that which stands in the way of bearing more fruit of him? And will he be able to find a church that trusts we approach him from victory, not for victory? Because we trust what He has already done and that He is in control. Father, we love You and we thank You. And today as we move to a time of response, even in the sanctity of our own homes, we ask that God, as You search us, may this Word know us and reveal to us the places where we lack trust in You. May we let You have Your way, Father. And may Your people... Reflect the church that you died for and love today. A place that is composed and fruitful. In Jesus' name, amen.